Welcome to this season of the Unfinished Business Podcast. Over the next few weeks and months, I'll be discussing art directing for the web with my guests, who are some of the most experienced art directors and designers working on the web today. I'm your host, Andy Clark, and I'm writing a hard-boiled web design book about art directing for the web. And you can find out more about that at stuffandnonsense.co.uk slash books. Now, this season of Unfinished Business is proudly sponsored by Coffee Cup Software, and in particular, their new CSS Grid Builder. If you're the type of designer or developer that likes tools to do their dirty work for them, CSS Grid Builder might just be the thing for you. Now, you might have used what you see is what you get editors before, so you're probably remembering just how lousy the code they spat out was. But let me stop you there. CSS Grid Builder outputs excellent code. Browsers developer tools are getting better at inspecting grids, but CSS Grid Builder helps you build them, obviously. At its core, CSS Grid Builder is a Chromium-based browser that's wrapped in a user interface, so it runs on Mac OS and Windows. This means that if the browser can render it, CSS Grid Builder can write it. In fact, CSS Grid Builder builds more than just grids, and you can use it to create styles for backgrounds, including gradients, which is really handy, borders, typography. It even handles Flexbox and multi-column layouts. But designing a grid is the app's biggest draw, because when you're new to CSS Grid, visualizing how its columns and rows combine to form a layout can be one of the hardest parts of learning how it works. You create a grid, use sliders to preview the results at various breakpoints, and if you're one of those people who's worried about other people using incapable browsers, CSS Grid Builder also offers settings where you can configure fallbacks. Then just copy and paste CSS styles into somewhere else in your project, or you can export the whole kit and caboodle. Best of all, CSS Grid Builder is currently free. Yes, you heard that right. It's free while Coffee Cup Software develop it. And if you like what they're doing, you can throw the few dollars their way to help fund its development. You can find out more and download CSS Grid Builder at cssgrid.cc. On with the show. Welcome back to Unfinished Business. I'm Andy Clark, and you might know me from conversations such as Brexit and weighing in hotel kettles. And occasionally, I design things for the web. And I'm joined today by my friend, art director and designer, Dan Maul. Hey, Dan. Hi, Andy. See, that's the bit where we try to convince the audience that this is the first time we've spoken. We haven't been chuntering on about cockatoos or anything for the, like, the last 10 minutes. <laughs> that's right. I think we're doing it, right? We're, we're convincing enough. I think so. This is the thing with podcasts, isn't it? There's like, you know, and to my left, you hear people say, and uh, you know <laughs> that they're not to their left. Absolutely not. You know that there's 3,000 miles away in Detroit. Or somewhere. As long as we keep up the illusion, we're okay. I think so. Have you ever been to Detroit? I don't think so. I don't know much about it. It's the Motor City, mate. It is. I've, I've heard that. It's the rumors. Those are the rumors. It's Motown. I don't know if it's that. That's where Motown came from, Detroit. Yeah, that's true. My God, I know more about Detroit than you do, and I am all the way down in Australia. That's probably the case for most of the things about the U.S. and live in the U.S. is that people outside of the U.S. probably know more about it than we do. You ever been to Idaho? Never. Never. See, I have. Really? For it's what a fabulous for? state. Why yeah, well, no, this was the thing. No, well, I was there for, oh dear, about a month or so. But traveling around that kind of, you know, northwest. We did a, an RV trip a few years ago. And uh, family and I, and the only place that had an RV available was Boise, Idaho. So that's where we thought we'd start. Wow. All right. Most stay put. You know, I think only a handful of, of us ever tried out of our own states, much less the rest of the country. Mm. It was brilliant because, you know, I'd been traveling in and out of the States for a while doing conferences and, you know, because I did it quite regularly, I would get quite a lot of questions at the border. You know, what are you doing here again? And, you know, how long are you staying? And who's booked your flight? And all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, uh, anyways, we flew into JFK on the start of this road trip and then we were going off to uh, Salt Lake City and then Boise. 
So we landed at JFK and you fill in the little, you know, the landing card that has your first night's address uh, that you have to write down on the card. And this guy, at uh, sort of security guy at JFK, looked at the, the address in Idaho and went, are you here to see some potatoes? <laughs> and, uh, oh, gosh. And I went, completely taken aback, I went, yes. And he went, okay. And that was the only question I got asked. Hey, that's not so bad. You can be the world's most deadliest terrorist and do no harm in Idaho. <laughs> I try to answer zero questions at customs, just yes or no answers. Otherwise, trouble. Yeah, well, ugh. anyway, so yeah, so that's my Idaho experience. But we should talk about what we're actually here to talk about, because otherwise we'll get complaints. Well, I'll get complaints. That, you know, we just chunter on about Brexit <laughs> and winging right. in hotel kettles. And uh, I'm trying to be serious with this series of podcasts. I'm, I'm actually trying to have, and it's really hard for me, to be honest, sensible conversations with intelligent people. I mean, this is say the... the Shortest amount of time that we've bantered on a record. Yeah, I know. We, we do normally go on for quite some time. But I tried to get all the silliness out the way a few weeks ago when I talked about Doctor Who with Paul and John for about an hour. <laughs> nice. So this series of podcasts is all about art direction. And when I was thinking about who I wanted to invite on the show, you were top of my list. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Not just because your name begins with D. Because there is actually somebody, Bethany Heck, I'm hoping is going to come on the show and we can talk about uh, her name begins with B. But irrespective of the alphabetical order of the of the guest list, you were pretty much top of my list because you've been one of the only people, really, I think, over the last decade or so. God, that makes us sound old. It really does. Jeez. I know. Somebody, I think it was Jen Simmons, uh, asked in a tweet the other day about fixed or fluid design. And did anybody know of any articles that, you know, from back in the dawn of time where, you know, having a fluid design was, you know, was an issue, you know, whether it was up for discussion. Hmm. And I actually remembered and dug something up from 2004 on my blog. And I'm like, I'm looking at this date going, my God, that's 14 years ago I wrote that. So, yeah, we're old. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I often reference old uh, old articles from my blog and I'm like, man, this is 2005. That is crazy. Well, you know, we're both in our declining years. Some of us more declining <laughs> than Gosh, others. I hope not. <laughs> oh, man. What a sad state of affairs. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we've been doing this for such a long time, I think it's, it, you know, we want to impart our wisdom to a younger generation. I think that's what this, the aim of this, uh, what the aim of, name of the game is. I'm just making that up. I'm game for it if you are. Well, I want to have some sensible conversations because people think that, you know, Andy just talks about Brexit and uh, weeing in hotel kettles all the time on podcasts. So actually, I'm going to have some sensible conversations about art direction. And like I said, when art direction or the subject comes up, your name is often one of the first names that gets mentioned when it comes to art direction on the web. And I think that that's possibly down to the fact that you wrote a, a great article about that, again, many, many years ago for uh, A List Apart. Yeah, certainly I'm proud of that. But I also think that it's because there's not that's written about it. You know, there's not a lot that people have written about art direction specifically on the web. There's not even a lot written about art direction and not on the web, you know, so I just found that there's a lack of resources. So let's make one. And I think, unfortunately, not has been written about it since, other than, you know, the people that you've been to, really. Yeah, no, it's really quite interesting. And there's been a little bit more, I think, of resurgence in interest over the last few months in relation to the whole, you know, the whole CSS grid issue. And, you know, the fact that we can now use CSS grid in something like 83% of, you know, contemporary browsers. But one of the things that interests me about that and i suppose it is because the 
a lot of the conversations have been happening around the technical aspects of CSS Grid. And, you know, people tack on the, oh, and wow, now we can, you know, we can do some stuff that we weren't able to do before. You know, we can reproduce magazine layouts, for example, a lot easier on the web. And we can bring some of those kind of classic editorial techniques that we might find in print and we can use them on the web. But I don't think we've really got to the bottom of is what art direction on the web actually means. You know, what's it, what is it actually intended to achieve? Yeah, that's a great question. And for me, it's, it's sort of a complex mix because in the muddiness of what art direction is, is the muddiness of what creative direction even is and what design even is. Although that one has been clarified more frequently, I think, and more recently, I guess, than art direction and creative direction. So, I mean, for me, art direction is about the feel of a thing. And that's hard to talk about in a in a medium that's very t- so even in the stuff that you just described, you know, art direction has been researched through a technical conversation about you know CSS grid, you know, about being code and and how to achieve it technically. And even a couple ago with the responsive images community, which all that all that effort has been great. But even about art directed images, it's really about a technique. It's not it's about conceptual the conceptual nature of the work and i think direction is really about how something is supposed to feel and then mixing that creative direction about how does the feel of something actually tell you business and strategy and and a goal that you achieve it's murky it's tough to talk about which is i think not a lot of people talk about it i've been sort of having some deep thoughts about this over the last kind of couple of weeks when you know i've been planning these shows and i've been uh, you know writing for this book that i'm preparing and in the, a lot of the conversations that i've had i've been sort of hearing things that you know it's almost like snatched pieces of conversations something which you know this perfectly summed it up for me Literally the other day in the uh, in, in the office that I work in, where uh, one of our senior product designers had taken the company logo and broken it apart. It's in four quadrants, and he broken it apart, rotated it, and put it back together with a little bouncing animation to form a spinner. In the same way that you might see the you know the loading spinner in something like Slack, for example, and. You know, when I was looking at this, you know, really little cute animation that uh, that had been made, and the discussion was, should the thing bounce when the quadrants come back together? Mm-hmm. And does that make you smile? Or does it irritate you if it does it too often? And I just had this kind of light bulb moment where I thought, you know what? That's art direction. That's about, does the little bounce say something about the personality of the brand? And, you know, does it convey the right emotions when somebody's waiting to uh, view their PDF? It's such a tricky phrase because because of the history of where it comes from. So, I think you're totally right that... What you were talking about is the feel of this interaction, but it's such a dated term because, you know, for those Mad Men fans, if you know where the term art direction came from, it came from, you know, when they were designing a layout or they were writing some copy back in the age, you know, in the, the advertising age, you know, in the 60s. They would have to pick, well, what's the style of the art that goes well with this copy? Should it be photos? Should it be illustration? If it's illustration, should it be art deco? Or should it be, you know, this other style? Or should it be posterized? And so, it's, it was about, you know, what's the feel of this piece? And what is the direction of the art pairing with this? But we don't, like, those, all of those terms are outdated. How we talk about making things that people interact with digitally. Because now, we, talk, we have these new terms and these new considerations like interaction, animation, and timing, and motion, and you know, and all of those things. So, it seems odd to say the way that a thing would bounce is art direction because it's not really art that you're directing. There's interaction that you're directing and there's, you know, and so part of it is like we don't, like the, the terms dated for the thing that we're trying to describe. Yeah, I mean, that that is interesting. There's always been this kind of debate, I suppose, about the distinctions between design and art direction and creative direction. And quite often, those terms will get used interchangeably. But also, there's a lot of blurring of the edges. 
Yep. Because a lot of that, especially in, in the work that I've been doing, you know, as an art director, one of the things that I would normally is, okay, let me design some animations that a developer would work on. And, and you know, 10 years ago, that was fine. Or, you know, five years ago, that was fine. But late, a lot of that stuff is something that my developers are working on. So we're working on a project and a developer would come up with a particular kind of interaction or, an, or something like that and go, hey, what do you all think of this? And so even the role around that has changed and shifted. And, you know, it just seems odd. Uh, term that we've had for 50 years, you know, or, or, or so is it just doesn't quite fit anymore. And I think, you know, a couple of years ago, 10 years ago, whatever, we started to see people going, well, I'm an interactive actor. And that started to add a little bit of nuance to the mix, but I feel like we haven't really gotten that right. And so for me, sometimes, sometimes because those are just such a distraction, you know, sometimes I'll just, I, I won't, you know, when I'm a designer or a developer or something, I won't say, Hey, what's the art direction of this? I'll just say, well, what's all you're going for here? You know, sometimes the, the term just gets in the way and other times it's useful to actually clarify, well, what we're doing here is actually focus on direction and not the design. So in a conversation with Mark that I had a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about art direction as a way of clarifying the meaning of a story. You know, what do we want the audience to take away when they read an article about, I don't know, an infamous gunman escaping from prison? You know, do we just want to relay the facts or do we want the audience to feel on edge or scared or terrified or whatever? And the choice of images that we use and, you know, whether or not the layout is, you know, slightly asymmetrical or disjointed or whatever is going to add to the feeling that they have when they read this article. And that's something that I still think that publications like uh, ProPublica do incredibly well on the web. Absolutely. But one of the things that Mark was talking about um, in our conversation was the fact that art direction also takes place at the point of the redesign that you do, you know, every three or four years or whatever. And he was relating it to the magazine world, but the same thing kind of, you know, possibly happens on the web. And it got me thinking about when we are doing a major redesign, and we'll come on to talk about some of your work for Smashing in a minute. But when we are doing a major redesign, you know, the considerations that we have are not just about the visual. They're also about the brand in general. I mean, sure, yeah, you know, there are business considerations as well. But a lot of a lot of art direction at kind of a redesign level is often about either redesigning a brand or refreshing a brand or about making sure that all of these kind of every touch point that a customer has with a brand conveys the kind of message or conveys the kind of feeling that somebody that we want somebody to feel. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the word brand because I think the medium has a lot to do with that. So I, I would imagine in a conversation with Mark, you know, a lot of that is really focused on constraints and also the, the, possibilities for the medium about a magazine redesign or a newspaper redesign the things at your disposal is you have the canvas right which is whether you're doing a broadway for or whatever the format of that thing is it's got some edges and some demand and then you're talking about the colors and the typefaces and the that you can you know, literally feel in your in your fingertips and so the direction of that is really about what can you do within the constraints of the medium and when you port that over to web and digital, it's a little bit different because of different constraints as well as we're released from some of those constraints. So, work in a, in a fixed medium. So, it's not like we can use the edges of artists in the same way that you could use in a magazine or in a, on a newspaper. Right. And we have other things that we can use at our fingertips like sound. You know, and so when we talk about feel of a sound, we call that sound design. We don't call that art direction. Talk about you know motion. We talk about that as motion design and not action, even though they're largely re- related. And so because of that, one of the things I'm thinking out about a lot lately, especially with redesigns is the idea of that I guess it's just all brand. Like my favorite book about brand is the brand Gary Newmeyer. And he says in that book, 
brand is a person's feeling about a service or a person or an organization. And to me, like, yeah, that's what art direction is, but maybe on a, a slightly less macro level and it's kind of at the macro level. So when I'm working on a redesign with a client, and this is true of this, the smashing work too, is like, you know, one of the things that I'm always asking is like, well, what's the feel that you're trying to have here? Are you trying to make people, ex- are you trying to make people feel scared or empowered or you know, the feel that you're trying to go for? And kind of like, like you mentioned with the conversation, Mark, that's the same conversations about those things in a magazine redesign or a newspaper redesign. We just have different terms because of the medium and then because of the, the mediums that we're working in. And it makes me think of kind of like, if you think of what a producer is, right? If you say, well, what's a producer? Well, it depends on them because a producer on a movie is not the person that has the vision for the director, but a producer on an album is the person has the, the vision for this. So I think in the same way, an art director for a magazine is not exactly equivalent to an art director on a digital redesign or, or or something like that. You know, so let's relate it back practically to, you know, the jobs that you and I do every day, the things that pay for our kids' education, you know, expensive watches and, uh, and all <laughs> of those right. things. Are you an expensive watch man? I used to be, and then uh, and then I got into out, and so I got an Apple Watch. I guess that counts as an expensive watch, but I only wear them now. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'm not into expensive watches. I like expensive watch clones. Aha. Uh-huh. Anyway, so you know the work that you and I kind of do every day, either you know consulting or when we kind of get deeper into kind of you know a longer term project with uh, with a client, is we are really challenged with how the brand and by that i mean how somebody's experience of a company or a service or a product gets translated down it trickles down into all of the various kind of touch points or interaction points that people have with what you make so that can include for example, it might include social posts. You know, it might include, if you're in the business space, it might include, you know, the stuff that people punch out on uh, LinkedIn. It might include the kind of the personality or the content style of something like an email newsletter. It might be a landing page on a website, a marketing page. It might go all the way through to something like a sign up process or an onboarding process in a product. So, would you agree that that's art direction? If we're going to try to get some a consistent kind of feeling and experience across all of these different points, I think so. I mean, it's a question to answer because I think yes, it's art direction. Is it exclusively art direction and say not creative direction? That's that's harder to nail down. Is it art direction, but not braided? Like is one of those things, the umbrella for the other thing, you know, that gets tougher, but I would say all of those things, I agree. They qualify as you are, you're art directing, you know, and that's at a micro level and at a macro could art direct the whole redesign, you know, like as, as in a magazine redesign, you know, art black or somebody like that would, is the art director for this, this read, uh, or you could art direct the newsletter or this blog post or, you know, the footer, you know, you, there's, there's certainly that exists. So I think, I think it qualifies, I'm not sure what it gets us to say that. And that like, is it a, that we are precious about for the sake of being precious about, or is it a thing that's helped us in our work, you know, both in, in communicating internally with teams, as well as with clients, like, is it helpful vocabulary or is it hurtful vocabulary? I think those are, those are some of the, or, or is it neutral? I think those are some of the things I've been trying to in my work lately is how, is that just a thing for me? Or is that a thing that bring us all together on a project? And I think that the goal of what I just described is to almost like to create a a unified, and I'll use the word experience, but that's another word that kind of gets bandied around and, you know, there's not a lot of definition on. Yeah. I'll think about it in terms of creating a, you know, a unified experience of a brand across all of those kind of different touch points that I mentioned. And it kind of it goes beyond the visual in a lot of different ways. I think it does come down to things like, for example, tone of voice, which is a, a project that I've been working on with a company recently, is, you know, how do we say stuff? Now, 
classically, you know, you might, if, if we're going back to that kind of madman example that you mentioned earlier on, you know, there was this, particularly in the kind of, you know, the Bill Burnback post era, this uh, whole, you know, collaboration between copywriters who would be thinking about that kind of tone of voice and art directors, you know, they were two separate jobs. And yet now when we're starting to talk about, you know, the feeling that somebody gets when they read an article or they experience a brand or, you know, when they leave a product and they close that icon down, the feeling that they're left with, we're now kind of calling our direction. Yeah. I mean, it's extra tricky, especially in, in the work that we all do, because on the web, especially for, you know, if you think about any publication, we talk about templates too. So even if we're talking about and, and, you know, if, if we're doing a marketing site, sure, copywriter, art director, copy designer, kind of these pairs can work together to say this is the particular message and aesthetic, you know, for lack of a better term, that we could pair to send that to communicate a particular thing. But then when we talk more broadly, a lot of the other kind of work that happens frequently in this industry uh, in publishing, that becomes way trickier because we don't even know what that is going to be. We just know it's going to be of this type but not actually that. So when you think about a New York Times article, it's hard to art direct that. You know, you can sort of art direct the shell of that. But and that's why I think there's a lot of emphasis being put and a lot of attention, and, you know, rightly so, on something like when the New York Times publishes something like Snowfall years back to go, they really art directed that. They really thought about the feeling that not just on the the thing as a whole, but as you go from section on that page, what the videos would do, the what the what this would do, how this thing would animate, how you experience it, the page turning dark at some point, turning back to light. So even the idea of kind of these ex templated experiences versus these one-off experience, I think is, is conversation about how we art direct on the web. So let's sort of wrap this section up because we could talk about, the, there are no answers to this really, <laughs> right, I don't right. think. We could talk about this and debate this for, you know, for hours and, you know, maybe we will. But what might be a better description for this than art direction? Or do we just need to kind of clarify, you know, okay, we're going to call it art direction, but, you know, with these caveats. I suppose it's a little bit similar to the kind of, you know, the word engineering, which, and design as well, which has now kind of, you know, those terms have become much broader than what we would have thought about design being, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah, I did a talk a couple years ago where I, I sort of simulated a presentation as I, as I had done for a client. And the way to talk about this with clients, and I see clients uh, sense as they don't do what we do all the time. So, I'm clients that are well-versed in making digital things. And I have some clients that don't or aren't. And for those clients, I'd like to translate for them. So the way that I talk about art direction to them is I start with design. I say, we're going to talk about art direction and design, you know, if in this presentation, but I want to tell what those terms mean first. And so design is a thing that they're probably familiar with because of Apple and because of Airbnb and because of the company world that have touted great design lately as part of their, their success. It's a more familiar concept. And then I talk about art direction and I say, well, what is art direction? I think art direction is about how something feels. And the examples that I give about that is I put up a have this this GIF that's like really sparkly letters and it says half day. And it's like one of the most visually offensive GIFs that you, you could probably have seen. And I said, you know, from a design perspective, if design, the way I define that, like Jared Spool's definition, the design is the rendering of intent. I think about the design of this thing. Right, the graphic or the graphic design, the, the UI design or the interface design or the or the the visual design, it's pretty offensive. You know, it's the typeface was Comic Sans or something off of Comic Sans, even worse. It had like you know, kind of this fuzzy graphic to it, this nature to it, and so the is poor. But from an art direction standpoint, you know, the feel of that thing, the birthday announcement supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel happy, and bright, and exciting, and fun. I mean, from an art standpoint, it was great, you know, even though it was poorly designed, it was well art directed. And so, when I use that context, my context, I say like when I, the feedback that I want from clients for them to give me, or even from the, from my team is, I want you to give me feedback art direction. Don't give me feedback about design. So, tell me that this thing's too bright or bold or 
too quiet or to use the touchy feely words to give me feedback. Don't give me design feedback, move this up 20 pixels or make this bigger, you know, tell me the words because my job as a designer is to go back and go, okay, that bill that they were looking for, I know a hundred different ways to do that with color and and layout and, you know, all the tools that a designer knows how to use that a person who's not a designer doesn't know how to use, but they know, you know, part of the point I made, my kids, you know, my six-year-old, my four-year-old, they're good art directors. They could tell me that feels scary or something feels happy. You know, if it has bright colors, it feels happy. And if it's dark, it's usually scary. So those are things that they can tell me without any training and any person in the world can do, but they can't tell me the design stuff. So I find that the, like lately what I've been trying is let's just ditch the terms altogether and let's about it from a, so let's talk about what it feels like and what it looks like. And this to me goes back to the earliest days of my career when I was first starting this before I knew art direction and design. One of the first terms in this industry I heard was little. Okay, well, that that feels accessible to people. It feels like you can get their arms around that. So lately, I've been returning to those words to, and, and access there. Wow. I'm going to completely steal that example for the first chapter of this book because I can't nice. think of a way in which I'll credit you, you know, with the terrible... I'll send you a link to the top. With a terrible example. <laughs> but I think that that's incredibly, incredibly informative. This this idea that you can have something which is incredibly well art-directed but poorly executed in terms of design is a fabulous, fabulous example. That's something which I think is what we could be doing and possibly what I should be doing with this series of podcasts is actually to to kind of frame things in those terms. It's like, you know, that leaves me feeling a certain way and therefore the art direction is potentially, you know, on brand, going back to that kind of, you know, branding term. Because, you know, the experience that somebody has when they use this product is a happy and satisfied one. How it's actually designed is a related but slightly different thing. And I think that that was a terrific example of, of how to explain that. Because, you know, we can talk about things being well-designed, but we rarely think about, you know, something being kind of, you know, poorly designed but still effective. I, I'm, I'm trying to – I'm racking my brains trying to think of other kind of egregious examples of that. Of poorly art-directed and poorly designed or, or the other way around? Poorly art directed and well designed. No, the other way around. The the well art directed but poorly executed. Yeah. Let's just park that. Let's kind of, you know if if something kind of springs to mind, then we can we can kind of return to it. <laughs> well, so the, the things that come to mind and I think are, are good. What I think of is the things that are well art directed but poorly designed. I don't see a lot of those in the world and I take that as a good thing. So I, I think of like there are comps that I've done that are great art direction, not not pulled off well and the client's like this sucks <laughs> you know because you know, i remember doing this comp that was like this is supposed to be military inspired i use lots of greens and stencil fonts and and they were like i totally didn't get that it was it was military inspired and i was like well yeah but like the colors and the fonts and they're like no i just totally don't get that i'm like oh so like good good idea good concept just totally not executed well and those are the ones that you know thankfully my clients are like yeah that one sucks let's not use that one well, I had a, a similar conversation, you know, professionally related a couple of weeks ago where, you know, I presented a bunch of concepts which I thought were extremely well designed. You know, I'd actually accomplished quite a few kind of things that I was really proud of in terms of the way in which the, you know, the layout reflected, the text arrangements reflected, uh, you know, the imagery that was going on in the layout, all of those things that we kind of think of as classic kind of art direction techniques. And, you know, the reaction that I got from the stakeholders was, ah, it doesn't feel like us. Mm, yep. Yep. And that's good feedback. You know, like, that's great. Fe- I love getting that kind of feedback from clients where they're like, it just doesn't feel. Remember the one of the, the best pieces of feedback I've gotten from a client was like, this doesn't feel electric enough. And I was like, yes, that, that gives me so many different directions that I can go in now. And they were totally right. In hindsight, I was like, you're right. This design just feels flat. Even though it was a good design. You know, it, w- it accomplished all of the priorities that, you know, all the goals, but it was like, it just didn't feel right, you know? And what I had to do is like neonize the, that site up, really make the colors hotter and, and more vibrant. And they're like, yeah, it's the energy that it needed, even though all the rest of the stuff was, you know, was working, have the right feel. 
Well, you know, the, the feedback that I got from this round of designs that I presented was, look, you know, we are changing the way in which businesses operate in this field. In the financial field, we are changing the way in which people do business. Nobody has done this before. This is, you know, revolutionary. Do I see that through these designs, you know, through what I'm seeing on screen? And, you know, honestly, the answer was no. So I think, you know, that kind of feedback is just incredibly important. Yeah, totally agree. I find that there's a lot of other things in the world that are the opposite. So poorly artful design, you know, kind of like we're talking about, like, I think Craigslist is a really good example where the design is functional and it does the job that it needs and seems to accomplish all the goals, but it's not well art directed. It's not the way that I, I understand it or, or, you know, I think what it could portray more trust, for example, or it could portray more of a sense that you're not ripped off here. But I don't know, maybe that's inauthentic to the actual brand. Maybe it is supposed to be, you know, anybody can use this at your own risk. And if that's the case, then maybe the art direction is spot on. You know, so a lot of those conversations tend to tie really quickly back to direction in goals and strategy and, and things like that to say, you know, the creative direction of, well, this has to feel like everybody can use it. So let's act direct it in a way that doesn't look very pristine and let's design it and it feels a bit raw, you know, and so the, the, the three go hand in hand. Let's shift the conversation slightly. And we keep kind of, I keep kind of referencing this work that you did for Smashing Magazine last year or possibly even the year before there seemed to have been that redesign was probably the longest redesign in history because i (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) i did some concept work on it i think it was 1987 (laughs) that's right i think it was before the web i think it was before (laughs) smashing magazine even existed that sounds right that sounds accurate yeah i think that vitaly freeman was uh was still riding a bmx bike around belarus at the time that I worked on on this particular kind of conceptual stuff. But, you know, we both worked on this stuff for Smashing Magazine. And, and, you know, most people that are listening are going to be familiar with Smashing across different kind of touch points. So, you know, let's let's use that as a frame of reference. One of the interesting things about that project, particularly as, you know, Smashing is not just known for its, you know, cartoony brand, although that's an important part of, you know, how people kind of think about it. It's also known for putting out great content, you know, particularly over the last kind of few years when they've really gone serious on competing with other magazines on being the ones that actually put the best stuff out, you know, rather than where they maybe started with the, you know, 50 Photoshop plugins that you should use. You know, they're they're now known for putting out great content, which means that there is a collaboration needed between writers or editors, or I'd even use the word kind of art editor if somebody's going to be kind of illustrating an article that I'm just looking at the website right now, you know, Heather Burns, for example, or Amy Thibibo, or whoever else is kind of, you know, producing the text for an article. At some point, somebody's going to be looking at the illustrations that kind of accompany that article, and they're going to be making sure that they, you know, are contextual and relevant but also, you know, kind of of a style. But then there's also lots of other ways in which kind of people need to collaborate on the work that goes into, you know, what Smashing put out. And this kind of notion that if we're going to get something which is well art directed and the objective is, is that so everything then sort of fits inside a consistent style and voice and, you know, look or feel. That means that there's a lot of collaboration needed between different people. You know, the, we mentioned developers earlier on in terms of the timing that an animation takes. You know, when you roll over something, when you roll over a little thumbnail in your design for smashing and it goes from being, you know, tilted slightly to being, you know, 90 degree plum there's a lot of collaboration needed between content producers designers developers editors in chief like rachel andrew all of those 
things coming together, I think, makes great art direction. But this level of collaboration is extremely difficult. And, you know, if you're producing a magazine and there's like, you know, you're putting an issue out every month, um, then we can kind of think that, well, there's time in the process to do that. But when you're putting out, you know, five or 10 articles a week and it's going into a content management system, how does that collaboration work in a digital environment? That's a tough one. So a lot that I've been doing over the last couple of years has been working with companies and publishing companies to tackle that exact problem. And I don't know that there's, I haven't, at least I haven't found kind of a silver bullet to say, oh, this is the way that works. I think part of that answer, which I had to see the community embracing over the last couple of years is the idea of design systems. And that's how, it's funny, that's how magazines worked for decades, you know, and, and newspapers is they have systems. When you read a magazine, not all of the articles, especially the feature articles are templated. You know, a lot of them are for custom layouts and custom imagery and things like that, except that if you understand them, you realize how it's not actually custom. It's just modular enough. You can have the semblance of it being custom while it's still following them that you've got, even if it uses all different elements. And I think now is the point where I think the web and, and people who are making digital product are embracing things like design systems. And I think it's that, that idea, it's still in its infancy, even though it's been around for the concept has been around for a long time. I mean, you've been talking about this for, for decades and, you know, and like we've, we've seen this, but now I think larger companies are going, okay, we have to be able to use those consistency. But, but, and I think we're getting to the point where people are saying, well, how do you use things like pattern libraries and design systems? Not only just for frequency, but also to be able to create quickly and have lens of custom when we need it, but really still following the system that we've got and saying, well, we got to do this one from scratch, you know, because I think that seems to be the dichotomy is either we use our templates or we do this completely from scratch and been a, a middle ground. And I think design systems and pattern libraries and style guides and that allow for that middle ground to go, we can create something in our system that still feels like it's a one-off, you know, where we need that, you know, kind of full circle, where we need that art direction, where we need people to feel slightly different than they would when they're browsing our, you know, our main site or browsing a, a particular part of our site. So I think that's a, that's an important thing in, in, how do we bridge that gap in the collaboration? So, one tools have to be built in a way that people understand how to use them. And that's both designers and developers and people around them. And so, I'm really glad to kind of see that, that movement, kind of that rally to everyone's got to be involved in creating the organized design system. Designers, developers, copywriter, because it's got to bake in all things by default. It's the, the, those are the smart defaults, the, the, right, the right tone of voice, the right animation style, the right easing, you know, all of has kind of be baked into that, to those things. And then once we have those tools, then we can definitely use those tools to create something that's a little bit custom. I think that's, that's far off for a lot of companies still, a, a couple of years off to be able to say, you know, the New York Times designs lets us make the New York Times website as well as Snowfall. You know, we use same set of components, and it wouldn't surprise me. I don't have any insight on this, but it wouldn't me if part of the idea of doing a Snowfall or some of the interactives that they've been doing are maybe to test out that concept. How far can we take our design system and not feel like it's a templated experience? Wow, this whole subject of style guides or pattern libraries or you know design systems has become, I don't know, it's one of the kind of the hottest topics, I think. Yeah. Uh, Gina Ran, you know, runs an entire conference, Clarity, which have you spoken at that? I have not, but uh, she's, she's asked me a couple of times. I couldn't make the timing work, but it's a fantastic event right. here. So, you know, it, they've become, you know, not only kind of incredibly fashionable, but also incredibly useful in mm -hmm. achieving a level of consistency and efficiency. And it's the efficiency that tends to matter, I think, with people who are more kind of an, of an engineering mindset. Yeah. I'm thinking of the, you know, the CTO that I work with who is, you know, very keen on, on design systems and baking things in to, you know, react modules or CSS modules or whatever mm -hmm. so that it makes it incredibly easy for a designer to say, this is the way that we handle a list of documents. 
or this is the way in which we we lay out a you know a list of articles that go into a I don't know let's say an editorial section of a website yep. but very few people are really talking about well we need to understand this stuff well enough so that we can then design outside of those edges when it comes to for example we're going to you know go off topic slightly but when it comes to let's say designing a system that might spread across lots of different areas you know whether it might be the distinction between let's say a company's digital product and their website or it might be something like you know the the distinction between how people experience an email that they get and the website am i right in thinking that actually the design system is something which should come organically from the work that you're already doing or is it something where it might be a little bit more reminiscent of a kind of an individual art director's interpretation of how things should be i'm not talking about you know the possibly you know how individual components are made up but is this something that you can then say, well, okay, so, you know, I'm going to go away, for example, I'm going to go away and I'm going to come up with what I think is the, uh, you know, the right way of approaching the design for all of these touch points? Or is it something which you feel should be a much more kind of collaborative process and one that kind of grows from the work that people are already doing? Yeah, gotcha. So you took us off topic. I'm going to follow your tangent and then bring us to topic too, because <laughs> there's a question that you keep asking me that I keep dodging. So, um, our, I think our mutual friend, Josh Clark, wrote a great article called The Most Exciting Design Systems Are Boring. And in that article, he talks about the idea that the design system, the first pass of a, de- of a design system, should take care of all the stuff they just don't want to do again, right? How many times does a designer want to make the button in Sketch or wherever, you know, in code? The design should take care of the button. You know, the drop down that has the list of the work at this company. Like, no one wants to make that thing again. Let's bake one version of that. That goes into the design system as our kind of way to do that. And then we're done with that piece. And so, the first design system should just be all the boring stuff. Like, what's the stuff that everybody's like, I just don't want to do that anymore. Let's come up with one to rule them all. And then we'll just use that one. And then once we have those things... It gives us the ability to solve the problems that are one-offs or or solve the problems that are, you know, well, one has a slightly different edge to it. And so, this one has slightly different requirements or goals for So, we can use the things that we've got and maybe riff off of them or maybe create a couple of one or or anything like that. And so, I I think that's like, that's one piece of it is like the tooling be in place. And then to kind of to, to bring it full circle, you, you know, you're asking me about the smashing work and, and really answer that, you know, kind of the, I haven't really talked about that yet. And so one of the, that I started for, for smashing was taking the work that you did, which a lot of really great work for them and, and sort of building on that. And the, the, the request really was, you know, he said, I only had a little bit of time. And I said, where would you like my time for, for this small amount of work? And he said, well, I really want to, I want it to feel like us. And so, where I started was, let me write down what feel like us means. So, kind of to the point that you made earlier, you know, just writing the words, like what does feel like us actually mean? And so, I wrote principles and I made like a one sheet for them and I'll, I'll send it to you after this. I'm not sure if you've seen this or if they published this anywhere. But the, the couple of principles for Smash was Smashing Magazine is the community. And I'll come back because there's there's more to that one. So it's the community, right? That's maybe one of the differences between smashing and some of the other, you know, the other sites that other people read in, in the same vein. And the communities are vibrant. That's one principle of a community. Communities have dimension. Communities are quirky and soft. And communities are turned up to eleven. And each of those things have a full representation to it as a, as a principle. So, as an example, communities are vibrant. And so, what I did there was I said, well, let's take a look at some of the, you know, quote unquote competitors, not really competitors, but, you know, other sites that people read in, in the same vein. Let's look at a list apart and CSS tricks and site and all, and all those. And all of their palettes are pretty muted. 
the color palettes. And so, but if, if the smashing community is a vibrant community, let's have a color palette that feels vibrant. So, you know, in conjunct or in contrast, let's do bright reds and oranges and blues that are very vibrant and kind of dark colors to offset those, you know, these dark grays and, and things. Like that. So, that's how vibrancy is, is visually represented. And communities have dimension. And so, one of the things that I used there was, let's make everything feel a little bit 3D, like it has light sources and I was like, while the whole world is going flat or flat with a little bit of dimension, let's go, go the other way. You know, let's make it feel like these things are have lights to them and they exist in a, in a 3D space. Communities are in soft. And so, the previous design of the site used Proxima Nova, which was like kind of, kind of a sharp typeface and utilitarian. And I had this graphic where it highlights all the, the points of the letter forms that are right angle and orthogonal. And we replaced that with a typeface called Me, which was very controversial when it launched. I guess some people loved it and some people didn't. But Miha had all these really interesting kind of quirkinesses to, to the typeface where it's round and soft and the, the letter forms lowercase a is just really unconventional. And one of the things for me as being part of the smashing events before knowing Vitaly is that he's a quirky guy. You know, the, the smashes are quirky events. There's charm to them. They're not really buttoned up. They're not in tie. They have things like Easter eggs and scavenger hunts and, you know, and mystery gifts and mystery speakers. Like that's not a national thing. And so, how do we embrace that as part of the visual identity? And the communities are turned up to 11 gave a rationale for, I think you had started this in the work done in just sort of twisting those, uh, like kind of echoing the logo, you know, and twisting some of those avatars so that they're not flat and flush against the plane that they're sitting on, but they're slightly rotated. And and the degree that I'm at is 11 degrees. And so, let's take that 11 degree thing and let's use that in all across the design. So, every, all the rounded corners were 11 rounded. All of the degrees of rotation were 11, 11 degrees. Kind of using that number as a magic number all throughout the design so that everything felt thin. And so, I just made this one sheet for them that said, here are the principles that we can to apply this design everywhere. And so, to your question, well, how does that collaboration go? Well, you know, one of the things that we did on this project was we worked with, uh, I worked with Sarah Sudan, who was the developer on it. And we weren't necessarily like lined up on the same team like that, but there was some overlap in the period of, of how we worked together. And as I was talking about this project, one of the things that she mentioned was, no, the, real, the thing that really sets apart is the community. You know, and so let's use that idea to elevate the community, and that that is what led to a lot of decisions. Like, let's make the who wrote this article giant and at the very top of this page. You know, and something that people were like when it first launched, people were like, "I don't know why this avatar is big; it should be at the bottom of the article." But that was part of the concept of this whole redesign is really sitting the community and and through all of all of these principles, you know, execute in a, all these pages and screens and components in a way that. To highlight that particular thing. And so, we use kind of those principles as we were designing. Is this section of the site vibrant? Is this section of the site, does it have gin? Does it, is it quirky and soft? You know, so, if each piece we get apply principles to, you know, it gives us a bar to say, oh, this is, this actually isn't working. It doesn't, you know, this piece doesn't have the dimension that it needs or it's not as vibrant as, as it should be. And so, part of that, part of that work was figuring out how all principles apply, you know, and can apply at a, at a small level or at a big level, you know, that could be the email newsletter, that could be the checkout flow, that could be navigation. And so, kind of like taking those principles, okay, now we have a system of elements. How do we apply them in a way that checks all of these principles? This is one of those kind of really spooky moments <laughs> because one of the things that I've been working on with the company that I'm working with right now is we've and this has only really happened, you know, in earnest this this starting really this year where I brought all of the designers together right the way across uh, marketing and product. And one of the first things that we did to really kind of get a, a, a joint understanding of, of what we thought the direction of the the design of the company should take was to run a bunch of design workshops to look at the branding work that been, had been done by an external agency. But rather than just kind of, you know, take that kind of brand design or above the line design kind of literally was to say, right, let's get a joint understanding of how we're going to trickle all of these things down across 
the design of our, you know, social and email and website and marketing and product. And one of the things that we did was to focus a lot over a few weeks on our design principles. So whether, you know, those design principles, I think, ended up being, I think I've signed an NDA, but I don't think that this would be part of it, is bold, clear, intentional, and reassuring. And one of the things that we discussed in great detail was actually what format those design principles should take. You know, is it just a single word? Is it a single word accompanied by one short sentence or a slightly longer description or whatever? And we came to the conclusion that actually adding more words to these descriptions reduced the clarity instead of, you know, adding to it, you know, so you might say we're going to be intentional. And then in the description, you might say, you know, we're always confident about the message that we are, you know, putting out there. And yet that could quite easily kind of like, oh, well, you know, we might start focusing on the smaller words, you know, we might start focusing on confident, and we might start not focusing on, you know, bold, for example or intentional. And following on from that process, once we'd kind of nailed the format and the content of those design principles, and this is something that one of the, the product uh, design leads actually came up with, which I thought was a an incredibly good way of actually progressing this, was to say, right, what we now need is a joint understanding of what these words actually look like. And I suppose this is a little bit like your kind of emotion scale in a way is let's go away for a week, you know, amongst our kind of day job activities and let's print off a whole ton of stuff that we find around the web or we find from, you know, different design books or whatever it might be. It could be, you know, a television commercial. It could be a, a word. It could be a poster. It could be a visual treatment of something or other. And let's put these things up on the wall that say, right, this means bold to me. Or this means reassuring to me. And then we can look at where the common ground is and get an understanding that actually reassuring means using sort of slightly warm, neutral color palettes. You know, so it's the the kind of the opposite of or could be quite the opposite of bold in terms of or vibrant, to use your kind of smashing example. And this was an incredibly or is continuing to be an incredibly useful process because I suppose what we're getting to is, you know, well, this thing feels right. You know, we've identified our principles. We've identified what we th that we think that these principles reflect the qualities of the brand. And here is some visual executions that say bold or clear or intentional or reassuring. Yep, that's so awesome. And it, it totally brings us full circle because what you described is a typical branding exercise, right? Like when you're, when you're branding, that's part of the, like, that's, that's a pretty common exercise. I mean, and that's why, you know, you asked me earlier, like, what's the word that, that I describe those things. So when I talked to smashing about this, I didn't say we're going to out the smashing art direction. I said, we're going to figure out the smashing identity. And that's the word that I've been using a lot lately is this is an identity exercise about who you are, about what this organization is or what this company is. How do we express those things? Like when I see those things in the world, when I color, I should think about smashing. When I see this typeface about smashing and brands that are that are less mature been out there less sometimes you need a combination of those things to be able to say what's combination in the world you know that that's the identity of this particular company and then as the world as the brand gets more mature then you start to reduce some of those things and you you know you can say things like when i see this color of yellow i know it means hurts rental cars you know or when i see this even a, a particular color to have a brand own a color it's it's about identity when i see that that color, it means this particular organization makes me feel this particular way. That to me has been much more useful vocabulary. So, the question that I've kind of been asking in sort of a bunch of different ways, I suppose, when I kind of look back on this conversation, has often been about collaboration between different skill sets or different groups of people. And how all of that kind of comes together to form, you know, what you've just described as identity. 
which is a little bit different from what we might think of as some of those kind of, you know, famous art directors from the, you know, 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s or whatever, you know, thinking about kind of, you know, Neville Brody, for example, at the Face magazine in the 1980s, where it was his kind of distinctive vision for the publication that then drove the style of that, you know, that particular magazine for, you know, half a decade or or more. When I've described art direction before, and I've talked about, you know, the fact that companies need to kind of, you know, trust in the instincts of an art director, because, you know, that's the person that understands, you know, how all of these pieces come together to make a feeling. But actually, what we're sort of really talking about now is ways in which we can bring everybody together inside design systems, inside design principles, inside kind of collaborative mood boards or whatever, so that whether we're designing an email or a social post or a, you know, or a a website landing page or a product, we've all got this joint understanding of how these principles apply. Is that a fair summation? I mean, I think that's the collaboration piece right there. Yeah, I think that that's a great summation. I, I think about it like like when, when I'm helping to brand or rebrand a company or just coming up with the the look from for their website, w- what I'm trying to do is help them to identify themselves. You know, uh, there's however many billion, is, is seven or eight billion people in the world how you distinguish yourself or your organization from all of those, all of those other people. And that's with colors and with typeface and, and with emotions and with, and, and things like that. And so that in all of those places in now people know who you are in the, on the header of the website, people you are on the app, on the animation, the loading animation, people know her. And then from the people who work there, you know, the, the, or half of that organization, they should be able to identify and say part of this organization. And therefore I will represent myself this way, you know, with these colors or with these words, things that I do say, you know, these are things that are a principle that we hold. And these are things used to talk about ourselves because we're, you know, we are bold and we're not quiet. So if I were to speak quietly in this email newsletter or on this second website, I'm not representing us well. And so I think that, I think that's a great way to, to summarize it, you know, in, in what you said is that that's where operation piece does come in is to be able to have the tools to be able to say, this is what represents us as a whole. And I think art direction is a part of that. Identity is part of that. I think that art direction is a less frequently used term. So, I don't think people know what to do do with it as much. And so, using words that people, I know what look and feel is, or I know what identity is, or I know what, you know, whatever those words in the culture, I think it's, it's gotta be partly cultural too, you know, in the of that organization too. So, I think that's a, that's a great way to kind of summarize all that. How can I finish off the conversation any better than that? Uh, Let's call it a day. I think we should call it a day. (laughs) Well, I think that these are very important conversations for companies to be having because, you know, there is, as we said before, this kind of, you know, real interest in design systems. Um, But I think that possibly sometimes when we discuss design systems, it is for solving those don't want to do again issues. And yet, really, what the design system should be is a vehicle for bringing people together to have these kind of conversations. Absolutely. It's not necessarily a set of documentation that says, you know, we use the Oxford comma when we write something. (laughs) Although... Which we do. I've just written exactly that. Yes, this last <laughs> week I've actually written, you know, 300 words on why you should use the Oxford comma mm-hmm. as part of our documentation. But it isn't necessarily about the documentation, although I think that you do need to have something as part of a design system that says, you know, to new people coming on board or whatever, this is how we write or this is the essence of the, you know, of the brand. It's not necessarily about the end result in terms of the documentation, although that's important. I think that the the real benefit of talking about design systems is about 
the conversations that happen about how all of these various kind of touch points or outputs join together. And that, of course, you know, comes back full circle. I sort of take the glass half full version of, of the argument, which is, you know, I totally agree with you completely in that I think part, the reason that we're so focused as an industry on documentation bit and the, you know, can we stand up a reference website that is just because it's early, you know, in the same way that responsive design, you know, in its early phases was just about making a website work from you know, across a series of devices and viewports, but really was a catalytic vehicle the way that you described it. It's a vehicle for thinking about your organization differently, you know, and thinking about how people access your content. But in the days, it was a layout technique, you know, and that, that now stands for a lot more in the same way that CSS was, was when it first came out. It, oh, let's think of a different way to separate our concerns, but really lo- led to sort of like ways to bring people together in a different way. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that design systems over the next year or two, we're going to see a lot more people going, okay, we got the base stuff in place. Now what? Now what do we do? And I think that it's an exciting time for that. That really should be the end of the show. Let's stop before we keep going on. <laughs> we could keep going on for ages. I know. It's actually, it's only 10.30 in the morning where I am, but it, it's wow. a lot later when you are. So, uh, listen, thank you so much for taking an hour and a bit and uh, and talking over this stuff. I think that oh, my pleasure. You know, it's incredibly useful for me, not just in you know the book that I'm writing, but also in the job that I do every day and you know, hopefully continue to do yeah. <laughs> every day. And I really hope that you know other people are you know are going to find this stuff useful as well. So listen, cheers, mate. I really appreciate your time. Oh my pleasure. Thank you, Andy.